this sucks. Hello, and welcome to Play This, the podcast about playing video games. I'm Max. And I'm Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Hello, Max. Happy almost new year. Happy almost new year. I think by the time this goes live, it might actually be 2018. Yes, this episode will go up on January 1st, a new year's gift to all of our viewers. The future. (laughs) What will it hold? Uh, Hopefully more than 2017 did. Yeah, 2017 held a lot. I just don't know that I, I liked any of what it held. <laughs> right. Uh, well, uh, how are your holidays? Happy Kwanzaa out there if you celebrate Kwanzaa. Yeah. Happy all of those holidays. Uh, mine were good. How are yours? They were great. Also cold. Yes. Well, should we talk about some video games? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so this week, we're going to have a kind of a longer conversation about um your and my most anticipated games in 2018 right so the news was a little bit lighter which is good because there's less to talk about yeah however there was one news item we wanted to touch on this week which was uh the nintendo switch officially surpassed um the playstation 2 year one sales in japan yeah it sold 3.3 million units in Japan in its first year, which beats the PS2 year one sales of 3.2 million. Uh, that's really impressive because the PS2 were considered to have sold like hotcakes even back then. Another interesting milestone is <laughs> that it has beaten Japan's Wii U lifetime sales. <laughs> yeah, that seemed inevitable. <laughs> oh, inevitable, sure, but amazing that it happened this fast and i have a feeling that by our next podcast it will have surpassed wii u lifetime sales worldwide and not just in i would hope so yeah wii u has sold 13 million units worldwide as of december 2017 and i know that nintendo's goal for the nintendo switch first fiscal year sales is 14 million and I think the only way they're not going to reach that is if they don't make enough Switch units. <laughs> well, which is something that they're kind of known for. So yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't think that's impossible, <laughs> but I think that's the only thing that would hold them back at this point. This conversation just made me think of something very sad, which I'm I'm sure happened somewhere in the world this holiday season, mm. which was a young child excitedly, open, uh, excitedly opening <laughs> up uh, a console, unwrapping it, and then their parent bought them the Wii U instead of the Switch. <laughs> I'm sure somewhere uh, in the world that happened for someone. Uh, that's very cool, very big for Nintendo. Yeah. And I think one of the things that like uh, makes it less surprising that it happened is how big mobile gaming is in Japan. Yeah. And how successful the Switch has been at being a mobile system. Yes. Which I think, uh, you know, when we talk about the things that people were taken by surprise by and how good the Switch ended up being, how competent it is as a mobile unit oh yeah the battery life is terrible obviously right but even still it's a fantastic mobile experience much better than i think any of us would have really anticipated going in just based off of nintendo's recent track record with consoles and i think that factor has you know really played into how well it's sold congrats to them for this pretty incredible milestone the playstation 2 is my favorite console of all time Mm -hmm. i don't know what could change that the switch maybe could um, but I'm still really happy to see that it's doing so well. And, you know, I think this just really heightens my feelings about the PlayStation 2. It doesn't erase them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to see Nintendo having victories again. I feel like we say that every episode. But it's good for the it's good for the genre. It's good for the industry. It's good for the... In- yeah, that's what I meant. It's good yeah. for the industry. I, You know, when you have the big players innovating, 
and pushing each other. Yeah. Competition is always healthy. Absolutely. And especially if it's friendly competition. Yes. Agreed. It is nice to see, especially how nice Nintendo and Microsoft are to each other, yeah. and how nice Nintendo and Sony are to each other, <laughs> and then Sony and Microsoft just don't talk. Yeah, I don't think that will ever change. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. That's the news from the week we wanted to talk about. Uh, there's some other fun little things that happened. Kojima said something about Death Stranding <laughs> and whatever. But yeah, uh, there were Pokemon rumors that may or may not be true. <laughs> I feel like that's true all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. other thing, so before we start talking about uh, Fallout 2, which I recommended to Daniel last episode. Oh, and whatever else we've been playing. And whatever else we've been playing is the games that we're most excited for coming out in 2018. Yeah. Uh, so the way we're going to do this is we both made a list of our top five most anticipated games. My list isn't in a specific order. I think yours might be a countdown. Uh, yeah, more more or less. More or less. Yeah. And then we also have three honorable mentions. Right. So why don't we start with our honorable mentions, the games that we're excited for but didn't necessarily make our top five. Okay. My runners-ups. First is Street Fighter V Arcade Edition. Oh, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that. <laughs> right? Like, I didn't feel it was justified to be a top five contender, especially because it's not a legitimate new game release. Sure. It's an update to an existing game, but I'm still really excited about it. Street Fighter V Arcade Edition is the game that we should have gotten two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Street Fighter V had a really rough launch in 2016. It was a very good fighting game, but there was no single player content. Everyone was rage quitting online because there were no penalties for it. That's right. And wasn't the launch roster not super great? Launch roster was 16, which I think is acceptable for the first iteration okay. of a fighting game. It was smallish, so it felt small and disappointing to a lot of people. Now, uh, not only over the past couple years have they released a free cinematic story mode, which is as fun as it is stupid, <laughs> <laughs> and it's very fun. They've released 12 new characters, bringing the roster to 28. That's much more robust. Yeah. Yes, and they're finally adding an arcade mode, which the game hasn't had since launch, and it's going to be a really robust arcade mode with a bunch of different endings you can get for each character. So I'm excited about that, and I'm going to lump the Season 3 character roster into that because the release in Sakura is playable, the release in Blanca, wow, who's who was like my very first Street Fighter yeah, main. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. Sagat... A few other characters that look neat. It's coming out January sixteenth, and I know right that that's going. Yeah, I know that that is going to get me back into Street Fighter. I'm excited about that. Nice. My other runner-ups, a way out. Sure, we talked about that at length in the last episode. Yeah, and you know, I'm looking forward to that. I think there's a very good chance that. Joseph Ares is way more confident about that game than he should be. <laughs> so my my excitement is measured. But I do think it could be a really neat experience, and I love that only one person has to buy the game. Yeah, that's pretty phenomenal. Th- that is an amazing move by EA. I'm very impressed by yeah, that. Yeah, I think, you know, there's... The more accessible games can become as a medium, the better, mm-hmm. I think. And that's yeah. a way to make the game, obviously, incredibly ac- uh, accessible for people. Right. So I'm all about that. Yeah. And my last runner-up is Detroit Become Human. Every time I see footage of that game, I'm like, that's cool. I love all the choice differences. Mm -hmm. The presentation is obviously dope. I've heard a lot of things at this point about David Cage's writing (laughs) that 
makes me tentative. Yeah. So it's not in my top five. Right. But I do have my eyes on it. I am very intrigued. This is that's great segue because Detroit is also in my honorable mentions and not in my top five. Nice for the same reason. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, you know, there's a lot to be excited about the game. It looks beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. It looks like the interaction could be super uh, unique and uh, a great way to tell the story that they're trying to tell. Yeah. However, <laughs> you don't. You know, David Cage doesn't always have the best track record of telling the greatest stories in the uh, in the greatest way. Sometimes they're very heavy handed. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot to be excited about, but there's also a lot to kind of be wary about with that game so agreed uh that is also my honorable mentions um fire emblem for the switch yeah nice uh, is in my honorable mentions I, it might have made it to my top five if i knew more about what it was going if to be anyone knew right. more yeah <laughs> yeah no i guess not it's not just me they're not hiding it from me <laughs> tell max um but uh yeah definitely my honorable mentions for now uh i was uh introduced to the fire emblem series like a lot of people on the 3ds through awakening um, I bet. Yeah, through awakening yeah. mm-hmm. and it was a great game um super up my alley very difficult yeah um, so i'm excited to see what they do for the switch nice. and then my last honorable mention is uh red dead redemption 2 ah. um i actually didn't play the first red dead redemption okay I, somehow it just i missed it you know it was i guess it came out at a time when i wasn't thinking about video games Fair enough. it came out when i was in college Right. Um, so I didn't have a lot of money. Uh, right. So that's probably part of it. But, you know, uh, obviously Rockstar Games makes amazing games. They do. Um, and I'm very excited to see what they do in this generation yeah. uh, with a Wild West theme. So I'm excited to see that game. Nice. Uh, that is my final honorable mention. Okay. Cool. This is fun. Yeah, this is fun. <laughs> uh, I, I think those are good picks. So why don't you, well, why don't we switch back and forth now? Take me through one list one game on your list like you kind of have a rough order so what's your number five okay so number five on my most anticipated games of 2018 list is project octopath traveler okay interesting and i know that is probably not on your list it is not on my list we talked a bit behind the scenes a while back that we had both played the demo right and you told me that you did not have a good time with it, really. I didn't, no. Yeah. Uh, I really love the potential that I saw in that demo. I agree with you that Ulbrich is a very bland, uninteresting character, but I played through both stories. I played through Ulbrich's and I played through mm-hmm. Primrose, yeah. the the dancer character. I just really love a lot of the potential it has. I love the field abilities, gimmick that it has i like how each character has a thing that they can do when they're not in battle right obra can challenge people to duels and primrose which is ironic because then that starts a battle right so. <laughs> yeah but primrose <laughs> primrose can flirt with people and have them temporarily join her party and give them her skills yeah. uh give her their skills on top of that i love the idea of eight different stories all sort of converging together and you getting to play those eight stories in any order you like one of my favorite games that i've ever played is live alive for the super that's Nintendo. what i was going to say yeah yeah it, because you also like bravely default and this is the same team that made bravely default and right. it feels like live alive yeah so it's like a combination of things you already like yeah although i I like Bravely Default. I don't love Bravely yeah, Default. That's, yeah, that's yeah. Okay. It's a, still a good starting place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, it feels like Live Alive made by the Bravely Default right. team. Yeah. And that's exciting. So it's number five for me. 
You, yeah, it did not make my list. I did not have a great time with that demo, though I didn't yeah. play Primrose's story. Maybe at some point I'll go back and check it out before I render a final opinion. But fair enough. Something about it just didn't. It just didn't hook me, which is fine. Yeah. Number five on my list is a game we talked about, I think, a couple episodes ago now, uh, which is Donut County. Yay! <laughs> which nice. Is a game I <laughs> had no knowledge of, you know, more than a month ago. Right. But that trailer sold that game to me so well. Um, you know, kind of bringing back that conversation about like fun games that, that fill your time. Oh yeah. I think this could be a great one for that. The art style is right up my alley. I have no idea what the mission of each map is because it just, are you supposed to get things in the right order? Are there things you're not supposed to get? Right. I don't know what the, what the actual loop is. Right. But I'm intrigued and I want to know and I want to play it. It looks so cute. That's such a good pick. I forgot that was even coming out in 2018. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. What's next on your list? Number four, Kirby Star Allies for the Nintendo Switch. I love Kirby games. I love them so much. They're so fun. Kirby Superstar and Kirby's Dream Land 3 are, like, tied for my favorite. Kirby Star Allies looks like a Kirby game, and it looks like a Kirby game with a lot of heart put into it. Mm -hmm. It also brings back the combining powers mechanic that I missed from Kirby 64. And, I don't know, that game looks super cute, it looks like it's gonna be great, and it feels like maybe sort of a cheap pick, sort of an easy pick. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. But I I just know I'm gonna love it, so there it is. Well, I think that's that's a great opportunity to talk about how stacked 2018 is looking, in yeah. terms of gaming already. Right. Like, a lot of these are cheap, easy picks, because they're, you know, established franchises that are making big blockbuster games. Yeah. So I don't think there's anything wrong with, like leaning into the nostalgia of wanting to play a, a, a Nintendo 64 era Kirby game. No, that's true. And I'll probably be playing through that with my girlfriend, Amy, even though she didn't dig Dreamland three that much, <laughs> I might have to make her play it, but that's, Kirby, that's Kirby's so good for co-op. It's so yeah. much fun. And that's, that's the, a great tenant for your relationship. Make your partner do things. Oh like yeah. You know, no, she'll do. love that. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what uh, the strength of our, <laughs> <laughs> No, she's very supportive. We love each other very much. Anyway. Well, this has been uh, the uh, Dr. Phil section. Of the, uh, the next game on my list is uh, Florence, which is a game I only read about recently. And as soon as I read it, it's like, yep, that's going on the list. I don't know what that is. Florence is a mobile game uh, that is being um, designed by the lead designer from Monument Valley, Ooh. which is a really beautiful mobile game. Oh, yeah. And it is a visual novel-esque, there's not super much known about exactly how the game will play, but it has a very comic book feel, and it's about relationships, it's about love and loss, and it's, it looks, just from the, um, the only image I've seen of the main character, Florence, it looks, the the art style looks beautiful, kind of a hand-drawn comic book aesthetic. So I'm really excited to see exactly what that game is. Oh, damn, um, yeah. It's coming out sometime in 2018. And uh, I, uh, yeah, a, a visual novel game about relationships, again, as something to kind of play in between playing other games. I'm very excited about what that game could be. Yeah, that sounds dope. I can't believe I've never heard of that before. Okay, so my number three pick is Florence. <laughs> uh, my number three pick is actually another visual novel. It's called 428 Shibuya Scramble. Okay, great. So you, I did one you never heard of, and now you did one I never heard of. <laughs> so 428 Shibuya Scramble is a game from Spike Chunsofts. They are very good at making visual novels. Uh, they do the Danganronpa series, etc. 
this originally came out for the Wii in Japan, and it never came to the States. Never came to the U.S. It got a 40 in Famitsu, back when Famitsu was very stingy with its <laughs> 40s. It basically takes place in Shibuya, and it's like a murder mystery where you play from five different perspectives. Apparently the story is great, the writing is great, and the gameplay does some really neat, interesting things. I don't know too much about it, yeah, because that sounds like a thing where I want to go in relatively blind. Sure. It sounds a little bit like maybe the Sexy Brutal. Mmm, yeah. One very different thing that Fortuit Shibuya Scramble does is they have real live-action actors in the game. Oh, really? Yeah, and all, all the cutscenes are live-actions. Oh my god, it's like... It's like an arcade game from the 90s. I'm excited about it. It's like Mortal Kombat. I sure, I'm sure it'll look better than those games do. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I just off announced last year that it's coming to the US for PS4 and PC in 2018. Very cool. I'm definitely going to be playing it, and I could see myself recommending it to you if that goes well. Very cool. Yeah. My next game is uh, Valkyria Chronicles 4. Nice! Man, the only reason that's not at least an honorable mention for me is because there's so many games and I forgot about Valkyria Chronicles 4. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, we are really spoiled for choice. Valkyria Chronicles 4 is on my list, even though I haven't played... The only game in the Valkyria Chronicles series I've played at this point is one. Uh, right. I've missed all the games in the middle. Yeah. But I don't even really care. Um, <laughs> I'm much less uh, kind of interested in playing games that way than you are you know that's really hard for you to mm -hmm. uh, to not play a game if you haven't played the predecessors yeah we'll we'll talk about that when we get to fallout 2 uh, okay <laughs> oh great <laughs> what have i done i've ruined your life uh <laughs> but valkyria chronicles 4 i'm very excited for valkyria chronicles 1 if we, as we've talked about before is uh, some of my most fond gaming memories come from uh, playing valkyria chronicles 1 with you from advanced reports it seems like this is kind of a getting back to what made them successful Valkyria Chronicles 1 and kind of yeah. shuttling off some of the things that they kind of failed with in the later games. So yes. I'm excited to see how that plays out. Agreed 100%. My number two game is another game you might not have heard of. It's Ooh, UFO... It's embarrassing. Me <laughs> it's called UFO 50. No, no. That's another uh, game I haven't heard of. So Derek Yu, the creator of Spelunky, along with a handful of other indie developers all got together to make this game. Do you remember Action 52? Does that... No, I don't think so. Action 52 was this cartridge for the NES that had 52 games on it, and they were all terrible. <laughs> if you've ever heard of Cheetah Men, which is considered one of the worst NES games sure. ever made, that was, that was bundled on Action 52. That was one of the headlining games on the Action 52 cartridge that had all these just really lazily, crappily made... NES games. It's a different era. Right? Yeah. Like, you'd see you see the cards, like, wow, 52 games? This is a deal! And you play it, and none of them are fun. UFO 50 is a quote-unquote lost game, lost cartridge from that era, made by a fictional gaming company. Oh, that's really funny. Right? That's uh, a great concept. Yeah, it's, it's a lost cartridge with 50 NES games on it. They programmed this year... With those limitations, with that color palette and with that graphical style. And the 50 games are actually all made with care by these very good indie developers. <laughs> 
and they also try to tackle some contemporary genres in the way that they felt they would have been tackled in mm. 1989. Oh, that's interesting. This is coming out on Switch? This is, right now, just a PC game. Oh, okay. They're going to focus on consoles after they release the PC version, and they haven't announced which consoles, but it sounds like the best fit ever on the Switch, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of a legacy. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, the trailer for it looks so good and so fun, and it's such a neat concept That's that I'm cool. really excited about it nice. come this coming year. Uh, my number two game is Kingdom Hearts 3. Nice. And this is kind of similar to Valkyria Chronicles in that I didn't play much of the bullshit in between one and now. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I don't, I do not care about the story of Kingdom Hearts at all. Right. But Kingdom Hearts 1 is one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. Kingdom Hearts 2, I was a little bit less on. Didn't quite do it for me on the same level. I feel you on that. Yeah. Because one was the most about Disney. Yes. Two is when they start bringing in mysterious shirtless anime men <laughs> and making them the focus of everything. And that that took some of my interest away as well. And I feel like the combat wasn't as uh, fluid. I don't know. I I feel like every new Kingdom Hearts game comes out, I enjoy the mechanics more Interesting. and care less about the story. Well, it didn't have the gummy ship, right? So that's at least a positive. Oh, no. Two oh, had the it? gummy ship, Man. but gummy ship was more fun. Okay, that's what it was, right? Yeah. The gummy ship in one is just... <laughs> a bit of a slog. Yeah, it's not a fun add-on. Yeah. But Kingdom Hearts 3, I mean, how could I not be excited for the Pixar worlds? Oh, yeah. They look, I mean, the, what's been leaked looks beautiful. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm so excited for for playing in like the Monsters, Inc. world especially. Yes, It looks man. dope. Yeah. Um, yeah, Kingdom Hearts 3 has to be on my list. Uh, funny you say that because that's my number one. <laughs> I assumed it would be. I kind of teed you up there. Yeah, thanks, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for Kingdom Hearts 3. If it comes out in 2018, which I see a decent chance of that happening when Square Enix announced that Final Fantasy 15 was coming out in 2016, when they finally committed to that, it did come out in 2016. So I... Th- I feel like we will get it this year or very early 2019. I am also a guy who plays Kingdom Hearts games for the Disney stuff. And the Disney stuff they've announced is already so cool. Toy Story World is something I've wanted since Kingdom Hearts 2. And the Monsters, Inc. world that got leaked is also an amazing choice that I love. I'm sure we'll see Frozen in there. Uh, Tangled World looks neat. I think Big Hero 6 World will be a lot of fun. I'm so excited for that. Yeah. Uh, just a great roster already. I'm hoping that instead of jumping into the Winnie the Pooh book again, I'm hoping that instead of that, we jump into Wreck-It Ralph's Arcade Machine. <laughs> oh, that'd be so cool. Right? That'd be uh, awesome. Yeah. I, I'm so pumped. And one of the things that's actually kind of neat about this generation of games is that if Game Hearts 3 comes out, and it doesn't have a world that I really want in it, we could get that world as DLC in the next year Very or two. True. Yeah. Yeah. So my last game is uh, Yoshi on Switch. What? Yeah. That is is that like your number one or is that just the last game? No, mine weren't about? really in order, but that's yeah, just that's... the one I want to talk about last. Okay. So my wife and I played through Kirby's Epic Yarn together and had a great time. Yeah. And this looks like a game that we can do the same thing. Um, it the, the aesthetic is incredible. 
Yeah. As with all of these kinds of games. I love the cardboard sets. Yes. They look so cool. Yeah. I love the throwing Yoshi's egg um, mm-hmm. at enemies. I, I just, I'm really excited about playing this game with my wife and, you know, Yoshi's the cutest ever, so... Yoshi's very cute. Anytime Yoshi gets to shine, I'm happy. I should have... Knowing you, I should have expected Yoshi to be in your top five. That that really threw me for a loop for a second. <laughs> yeah, it really caught a, me off guard. got a genuine reaction. <laughs> I think that's a good pick, though. Thank Yoshi, you. Yeah. I was, you know, waiting to hear your ju- judging on my list. Nah, Yoshi, Yoshi's a good pick. All of your top five are games that would be in my top ten to fifteen. Yeah. 2018 is just looking like such a dope year already. There's so many games that we didn't talk about. Oh my god, it's incredible. Shenmue 3, Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, Concrete Genie, which we talked about a little bit in our um, Paris Games Week overview, I think. Right. Still really looking forward to Soul Calibur 6. Wolf Among Us Season 2 is still the most excited that I yeah. am about a Telltale game in the past like few years. Dragon Quest Builders 2 is going to be dope. Dragon Quest 11. 11. Yep. Dragon Ball Fighters. Yeah. That's that's basically all of it. Oh, I guess Anthem's probably a big deal. Yeah, Anthem's a big deal. <laughs> Dreams. Yeah. Uh, Yakuza 6. Yakuza had a very big year with both Yakuza 0 and Yakuza 5 doing very well. Yeah. Uh, I played Yakuza Kiwami this year, and that was a pretty good time. So Yakuza 6 could be really cool. Uh, and I guess my good friend and roommate, Sean... <laughs> would not live with me anymore if I didn't mention Monster Hunter World on this podcast. Well, yeah, once it comes out, you might not know that he's living with you anymore. You'll never see him again. <laughs> he, he's actually going to move the PS4 into his room, and yeah. I might not see him for days at a time. Yeah. He's going to clockwork orange it, just keep his eyelids open, <laughs> and just play 24 hours of Monster World. That's that's a good that's a good verb use of clockwork orange. Oh, thank you. I've been practicing. But yeah, 2018 is already looking pretty stacked, and I'm gonna predict this right now. By the ooh, end of ooh, by the end of January, by the end of January, we're gonna get a Nintendo Direct or something. Oh yeah, and they're going to announce something that would have gone into our top five if we knew about it. Super Smash. Hmm, maybe Super Smash. So that's the list for us. Yeah. Ugh, God, there's so many games to talk about. Uh, we could just we could do this all day, actually. Just, yeah. just talk about games that are coming out in 2018. <laughs> um, if there are any games that you're especially excited about and playing in 2018, let us know about it. Tweet at us at uh, Play This Podcast on Twitter. Yeah. Or send us an email at playthiscast at gmail.com. So enough about games of the future. Let's mm-hmm. talk about games we've been playing uh, since the last podcast. Cool. I guess I'll go first because it'll be kind of short. You recommended <laughs> Fallout 2 to me, and that's basically all I've been playing. Wow. Yeah, uh, the only couple of small exceptions would be I've been watching Amy, my girlfriend, play through Blue Reflection, which I got her as a Christmas gift. It's this JRPG where you are a team of magical girls <laughs> uh, <laughs> that she was really interested in, and it's it's neat, it's super cute, and... Is it turn-based or action? Turn-based. And the battle system has some really neat stuff going on already. She's only played, like, the first, like, three hours or so. Uh, One really neat mechanic, it's basically your magical girl who goes into, like, the thoughts and the hearts of girls at your school that are having problems and defeating the embodiment of their 
you know, their sadness or whatever. This sounds very Japanese. Very, yeah. <laughs> and once you do that, the the girls that you save sort of join your party and become your moves. Oh, so it's a, li- a little bit like Persona, it sounds uh, like. A little bit, yeah. I'll, there's also some story similarities to Persona mm. and what I just said. But instead of instead of the characters like becoming party members, the girls that you help basically become a special move that you can do. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, like a summon, essentially? Yeah, they're, they're essentially summons. Or, I guess I'll just give an example. Like, there's a, there's a girl on the tennis team at her school. She has trouble confessing her love to a male student that she has a crush on. You go into her heart, and, <laughs> you, and you give her confidence. And then she starts tagging along with you, and during combat, sometimes you can press a button, and she'll show up and, like, shoot a tennis ball <laughs> at the opponent. That's cool. And just stuff like that. It's really neat and it's yeah, it's it's cute. It's cute to to watch any play through that. Other than that, uh one can always assume that I've been playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links oh God. on mobile. <laughs> we need to get them to sponsor us already. <laughs> when whenever I was about to like play like a big game, I'd feel bad that I wasn't playing Fallout 2 instead. <laughs> so Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links was the only other thing I could bring myself to play, since it's a small yeah. thing, I can play a couple card matches and then do something else. That is kind of a funny thing of this format we've created, <laughs> where it's like, you want to play a game, but you got to play the game that was recommended to you, even right. if you're enjoying it. Yeah. There's still that pressure of, like, homework. Y- yeah. <laughs> it's like, I just want to relax and play a game, not think critically about whatever game I'm about to sit down and play. Yeah. That... Woe is us. <laughs> this podcast is so ourselves. Like... Probably... Probably one of the best problems to have. Exactly. Really. Right. Yeah. But what have you been playing? Wait, so no, Xeno, no Xenoblade Chronicles this, this Yeah, year. I haven't touched it in a couple wow. weeks. I think I'm going to get back into it. Sure. My list is uh is pretty much the same as it's been, because uh, I'm kind of playing a couple of pretty big games. So. Right. Uh, actually, interestingly, um, over Christmas, I was showing my brother-in-law, well, future brother-in-law, uh, the Switch. I brought it up with me to Maine. Nice. And... We kind of, I was like, here, we can either play a little bit of Zelda, or we can play a little bit of Odyssey. What do you want to see first? Yeah. And he chose Odyssey, and then we just never stopped playing Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think, and we'll talk more about this when we do our Game of the Year impressions, but I think that really sums up my feelings on Odyssey. Like, yeah. when you're playing that game, you just don't want to stop. At least for me. Right. No, and it's... It's so addictive. It really is. Yeah. And, and not in a, like, a frustrating way, but like in a beautiful relaxing way oh yeah so i played a lot of odyssey um collected a lot of moons nice um over christmas i played a little bit more zelda and that was really kind of it just a lot okay. of odyssey and a couple more board games cool um but in terms of video games mostly odyssey and zelda any new zelda thoughts not particularly i was actually talking about this with a coworker uh the other day and i'm still too early into zelda to enjoy the exploration because I don't have enough things unlocked yet to to fast travel easily. Uh, so, like, there's still so much more of the world to open up that, like, traveling right now is kind of, like, a pain. Right. Whereas in the future, it'll be, um, obviously, be much easier. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like fast travel is something you unlock relatively early. I have fast travel unlocked, but I don't have a lot of uh, the hubs unlocked. Right. Okay. Will. Yeah, I gotcha. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. I, f- I feel you there. But yeah, nothing major to talk about yet with, with Zelda. Um, hopefully by the next podcast I'll have put some time into that instead of Odyssey. But we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Odyssey is so good, though. 
It's really good. I'm curious, Daniel, to hear what you thought about Fallout 2. All right. So as a bit of a refresher, uh, last episode, I recommended Fallout 2 to Daniel. Fallout 2 is easily one of my favorite games of all time. It's a game made by Black Isle Studios, uh, came out for the PC. You can get it very cheap these days online on uh, GOG.com. I think it's like $2.99 or something right now. Yeah, it was $5 or less on on GOG. It's, in my opinion, and obviously we'll get to your opinion, in my opinion, that's a fantastic deal for a game that completely holds up um, this day and age. If you at all like Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 and haven't played the original Fallout games, you absolutely (laughs) should. Um, They are so much better, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in my opinion. But also, I think it informs so much of the decisions that Bethesda made in making Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. True. Uh, Fallout 2 uh, comes from a lineage uh, Black Isle Studios. I think I talked about this a little bit. Also made some of the Baldur's Gate games, which are also PC era RPG games. Those are specifically Dungeons and Dragons games. Also very highly regarded a little bit. I didn't get into Baldur's Gate quite as much as I got into Fallout, but yeah. also really well made games. So Black yeah. Isle Studios is a studio that definitely closed way before its time, in my opinion. Yeah. I wish they were still in existence. I, I know, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough about me. What did you think about Fallout 2? So, yeah, I I played probably about 25 to 30 hours of it, and short version, I had a good time with it. Good. I did. <laughs> I think it's an incredibly unique game, even yes. now, Yeah. and I think that it did a lot of things that were really ahead of its time actually it also has several qualities that make it very clear it was the game made in 1998 (laughs) and there were a lot of things well there were a non-small amount of things that i got frustrated with in my playthrough but overall i'm very glad i played it and i think i think there is a a specialness to it that did not carry over to fallout 3 and fallout 4 That is absolutely worth looking at. That's that's my quick and that's dirty quick list. Yeah, and I also I think we should say at the top of this discussion, um, this is the first game that we've recommended to each other that is as old as it is. Oh yeah. Uh, so the caveat to be thrown out there is I haven't played this game in probably at least ten years. Right. So if you're listening at home, know that I will probably get things wrong. <laughs> I'm gonna get characters' names wrong. Uh, my experience with it isn't quite as fresh. You know, obviously Pyre I played this year, yeah. Undertale you played very recently. So yeah. we're digging back a little bit deeper for the first time. This is obviously something that we'll continue to do oh, yeah. throughout the podcast. But this is the first time we're doing that. So bear with us in that regard, because uh, some of these things are not as close to my memory as as others. But, you know, Fallout 2, that being said, still holds a lot of meaning for me. And I do remember so much about playing it. And yeah. I, I'm curious to hear from what you just said what some of those things are that kind of age it for you in in a bad way. Okay. So because it is definitely a game of its time. So as always, we will be talking about spoilers for the recommended game. However, Max and I both have never beaten Fallout 2, so we're not going to be talking about ending spoilers, we're just going to be talking about some stuff that happens like in the mid game really. Right. And it's also worth noting that Fallout 2 is a game where every experience is very different. Yeah. So if you hear about my experience, that probably is not going to ruin your experience if you play it, like, going in relatively blind. Yeah, I think the only thing if, is if you want to have kind of uh, no knowledge of character directions going 
forward if you're going to play Fallout 2 for the first time. Yeah. Maybe jump ahead a little bit. Uh, but I think unlike Undertale and unlike Pyre even, this is yeah. not a conversation that will fundamentally change the way you play the game if you haven't played before. Agreed. But if you don't feel like hearing about Fallout 2 at all, uh, you can check the timestamps and jump to the next point. I'll put those suckers in for you people. One of the things I can actually talk about that was really frustrating is the very beginning of the game. Right. The uh, the opening dungeon sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it it does. Basically, one one thing that's funny about that opening too is the Fallout franchise has this very sixties vibe, right? It has it has this aesthetic and what Fallout 2 tried to do at the beginning is shake that aesthetic up, right? In Fallout 1, you were, like the other Fallout games, you're someone that was in the vault at first, and then you leave the vault and and see the post-apocalyptic wasteland. In Fallout 2, you play an ancestor of the vault dweller, right? who at the end of the first game apparently founds a very low-tech village... Uh, almost primitive. He he founds like a primitive village, and you are someone that was born and raised in that village. So at the beginning of the game, <laughs> the beginning of the game, this franchise that has this modern-ish aesthetic and setting, you are playing a caveman basically, right. and they stick you in this temple, and you're running around in your underwear kicking roaches. I think they're ants. Oh right, yeah, ants. You're running around in your underwear, kicking ants and scorpions yes. for the first 20 minutes. It takes a long time to get out of that dungeon. Yeah, and and one of Fallout's two strengths is that there are so many choices you can make. Yeah. Almost every point in the game, there's at least two different ways you can tackle that thing, which is really cool. <laughs> Fallout 2's first dungeon is linear. You don't get any choices. Well, you could not fight the ants. You could just keep running out of combat. Oh, yeah, well, but yeah. But that takes a long time, too. Yes, and... It's not exact. It's clunky. Yeah, and I'm, I mostly just ran away from the ants. And yeah, you, you, get, you get that choice. You get the choice to try to avoid combat as much as possible. But in terms of solving the problems in the dungeon, you have to lockpick the first door in the dungeon. You have to blow up the second one with explosives that you find in the temple. And then after that, it opens up because the the last obstacle is a guy at the end who's like, now that you've made it to the end, we must fight. You can either fight him or talk him out of fighting. Sure. Uh, Did you do the talking out of I talked him out of fighting. It was great. And I'll talk way more about stuff like that later. But the fact that you had to do this, yeah. you had to do this, and the game does not let you know in any clear way that those are the things you have to do. That's very true. I actually, I died twice, and then I looked at a walkthrough, oh, really? and then I got through the tutorial. It is a terrible way to start the game. Oh, yeah. It's... And I, it, from a design <laughs> standpoint, I'm curious what, what the purpose was. Was I, it to teach you the mechanics of lockpicking and, and bomb and trap setting? I, I actually looked it up. That first temple was initially not in the game. Really? And then Interplay said, this is a big complex RPG. You guys have to have a tutorial mission in the game. 
mm. set give them a mission that teaches them a bunch of the key mechanics. I appreciate that because Fallout one has zero direction in how to play that game, <laughs> uh, which I think is one of the things that it's improved about Fallout Two is you are kind of told at times what you don't yes. have to do it in the order they tell you to, right? But you know what your ultimate goal is. Yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, that opening section is very clunky. Yeah, and it's turns out that it's because initially Black Isle didn't want that part. To I mean, be in it the makes game sense. The it definitely place. plays like something that someone did because they were told to. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. However, once I got out of that segment, I did have more fun with the game. But I guess we're talking about some of the archaic, frustrating things. Um, <laughs> I cannot believe that once you get party members, that your party members can block doorways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's really <laughs> annoying. God, that's so annoying. I forgot about that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they'll, they'll be they'll be standing right where the doorway is, and it's really hard to yeah, tell them to move. So you have to either, like, walk a certain distance so they'll it's follow like you a little bit, around, and right. then you can walk through. Or you have to, like, talk to them and be like, hey, I think we need to change the amount of distance between us. And sometimes they'll listen. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I'd forgotten about that. But I've probably spent hours waiting for my, <laughs> my companions to move right yeah uh some of the quests some some stuff is really obtuse sometimes you're given good direction on what to do other times you're really not and the opening dungeon is one of those yeah, yeah. is is i think the strongest example of that but it happens a few more times in the game i i admit that there were there was more than one time I checked a walkthrough to see if I was doing the right thing. Which is interesting because that seems like a pejorative thing these days, but in that era, mm-hmm. walkthroughs were a part of playing RPGs. Oh, yeah. And so I, I don't, I, I think it's less a knock on the game and more a sign of a change in time. I, I agree with that. I do agree with that. <laughs> Back in the 90s, it was such a common thing that we would buy the game and then we'd buy the walkthrough yeah. with it. Well, I mean, the whole, uh, industry was set up that way because final fantasy one's manual is a walkthrough yeah (laughs) i mean i think that informs so much of game design yeah uh for the first you know however long of of specifically of rpgs but i mean if you look at it like it it goes hand in hand that when you're playing an rpg of a certain era you also need a walkthrough for some parts of it right which is very different than how we play games now yes absolutely the the era of if you don't do this specific sequence of things at this specific moment in the game, you will never get to do it again. <laughs> right. That that era of games has definitely gone by. Yeah. I remember when I played through Final Fantasy X-2, mm. and I missed half of the dress spheres, and I couldn't get them anymore because I had passed a chapter in That's the game. That's so frustrating. Yeah. Uh, that was a bad way to play games. <laughs> yeah. Now, Fallout 2 doesn't really have any of those, luckily, but right. there are things that sometimes you need outside help to figure out. Yeah, absolutely. Because the game doesn't give you enough information. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely certain things that... I made the game harder for myself in certain ways because it wasn't clear that I should do this thing at this time. Yeah. One of those things is that it became clear over the course of the game that you could get a car pretty early on. Yes. And there's a lot of travel in this game there's a lot of going from point a to point b in this very like you're priced you're basically going cross country there's a lot of there's a lot of like long travel so there's an early point in the game 
where you can get a car, and I imagine that that made things much easier on the travel. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> while I did talk to a guy early on that was like, oh, hey, uh, if you get me this part, I can fix up this car and you can have it. I did bump into that guy, but I didn't find the part. <laughs> and I, I was like, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll have other opportunities to get a car. And I spent my whole playthrough walking from place wow. to place. You I never went back and got the car from the guy? <laughs> no, because by the time I had, like, enough money and resources, that guy was a fucking two-week walk away from where <laughs> I was. I wasn't going to go back and get the car at that point. Yeah. Walking made more sense. Especially, he, uh, here's an archaic thing about the game, especially because of the random encounter system. Right. When you're doing the travel, when you're getting from, when you're going from city to city, you'll usually get stopped on the map, and it'll cut to an encounter, usually a hostile encounter, you being attacked by things. And I should, I should establish this now, I guess. I made a very charisma-based build. Right. My guy was not built for fighting, so I ran from every encounter, and not all of my running from encounters was successful. I died so much. (laughs) Especially before you got yeah. a good party going. Yeah, yes. I died so much, and and even after I got a party, members of my party would still die when 16 giant scorpions just all swarm one dude and sting him to death. So, I saved constantly in that game. Yes. I, I got back, I got yes. into the habit of saving constantly and that is a thing from that era oh yeah Yeah, for sure yeah because if i didn't i would lose hours of progress yeah Yeah. it is very easy to die in fallout 2 especially if you don't have a car yes some some things it did that were like sort of forward thinking sort sort of cool and new for the time but they implemented them in ways that are that feel very old now for example there's a day night system in the game it's cool that it's in the game right but 90% 90% of its use is you're in a city at night and everyone goes, why are you out at night? Come back in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, why is there a day-night system? There are, I think there are a couple things you could only do at night and those were neat, but there needed to be more of a balance, I think. Sure. Yeah, I, I think that's the meat of it. Really frustrating beginning to the game. Very obtuse quest from time to time. I, I should have gotten a car. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting about that too is I think that that kind of plays into one of the themes of the game, which is kind of uh, uh, this cross section of America, mm-hmm. and also how shitty people are. Oh, and oh yeah. Well, if you don't have a car, the game plays very differently. And <laughs> I think that that is so true of the world that they've built, where uh, mobility and freedom of movement are so important <laughs> to surviving in this landscape, right? Especially because, like, it's it takes place in the western part of the United States, yeah. which is huge. Yes. And very wide open. Yeah. And the large cities are very far apart from each other. I think yeah. these things are all conscious decisions in the in the design process. Oh, yeah. Like, it, Fallout 4, for instance, takes place in Boston, mm-hmm. which is a very dense populated area. Right. So travel is shorter. Yeah. So travel takes a, con- a completely different context than it does when you're out in the Wild West. Mm-hmm. Not the Wild West, when you're out in the West. Yeah. And And the inclusion of the car mechanic is so interesting. And I'm glad that they didn't make it, uh, uh, that it was optional, mm-hmm. that it wasn't mandatory. There wasn't a mandatory quest to get a car. 
Right. You had to work to get the car. Yeah. I actually appreciate that about the game. And I think that that is something, that kind of level of punishment is something <laughs> that is definitely from that era and isn't always positive. Right. But the fact that it wasn't a mandatory, like, all right, now you get your car. Like I, you had to, it's not like an airship in Final Fantasy. Like, right. At a certain point, you just unlock the map. No. Yeah. You have to think about how you're going to traverse this hostile <laughs> landscape. I do appreciate that going through the whole game without a car is a thing that you can do. I think that's really cool, and I bet there's people out there that do, like, no car runs to challenge themselves or something. <laughs> I do kind of wish that someone, some NPC, just told me how important a car was in this universe yeah. before I started hoofing it. Because, uh, boy, some some of those hoofs got got crusty and, and, and chipped. But I think this is also something as we're talking about games of that era, that is also uh, indicative of that era or endemic to that era is that so much of learning how to play a game back then was through trial and error. Oh yeah. Starting and stopping. <laughs> like, I can't tell you how many times I have done that opening dungeon in Fallout 2. <laughs> it's probably in the dozens oh, because God. we'll talk about this more. I'm, I'm sure. But part of that's because the character creation uh, system at the start of the game is one of the best I've ever played. Oh yeah. And there's so much variability and there's so many different kinds of characters you can create. So mm. when you're creating a new character, you're always starting in that same stupid dungeon. Yeah. But also because you do die a lot and there are fundamentally better ways to progress through the world and sometimes you might want to start over and try a different one. Yeah, I there's a lot of trial and error in Fallout 2, which is definitely something of that era. I did that starting dungeon I don't even know how many times. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm ready to talk about character creation because that was yeah. the game. That let's was, let's was, talk about that. Yeah. Because I think, as you said, that is the game. That is the game. Fallout <laughs> 2 is a fantastic game across the board for me, but its strongest mechanic is its character creation. So talk yeah. me through that process because I don't know about you, but I think the first time I played or the first 10 times I played, I probably put like an hour, an hour and a half each into <laughs> creating my character. Man, I I did take like at least half an hour just looking at the character creation screen all the different options I had because it's great. Like it's very, it's very tabletop RPG, which, uh, which isn't uncommon from back then, like Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights and all games like yeah. that. They, they had similar stuff. So I decided to make a charisma build. Every stat starts out with a five out of 10, right? right? Starts out average. I brought my strength and my agility down to four each so that I could bring my charisma up to an eight and my intelligence and my luck up to seven. Nice. And then you could pick three skills. You could tag three skills to sort of give them a boost. I tag speech, barter, and gambling. So none of the guns, none of the melee combat. <laughs> Correct. And <laughs> and when you start, there's this really cool system called traits, which yes. I really like. The traits are amazing. Yeah. They give you about 20 different traits to pick from you can pick up to two and they are all things that have an advantage and a disadvantage yeah. which is great there's a trait called jinxed where you will almost always miss when you shoot something but so will your opponents <laughs> right uh there's a trait called sex appeal yeah. where members of the opposite sex will have better interactions with you but members of the same sex will get jealous and have worse interactions right. with you. This was a game made in the 90s, so maybe that's a little <laughs> yeah. heteronormative, but whatever. Yeah, it's a little heteronormative. <laughs> <laughs> and a bunch of other stuff that gives you something but takes something else away. That was really cool. 
I picked the trait good-natured, which upgraded all of my social skills, but made me worse with weapons and, and fighting in general. That really fit the sort of build I wanted, which was the I want to talk my way out of every situation build. I thought that would be fun, and I was mostly right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you definitely do get locked into some combat here and there, but... Oh, yeah. That was the build I went with, and it was a lot of fun coming up with that. I named my character, just I named him Daniel, because I couldn't... Sure. uh, I made him the default age, which is 25, and yeah, the character creation was, was a lot of good times i had a great time with that yes the traits especially are where you can see so much of the heart and the passion that's put into this game yeah they're so well thought out they're so funny yeah one that i i generally didn't choose for obvious reasons but i appreciate its inclusion is the bloody mess trait Uh uh-huh because this was uh the bloody mess trait allows you to have more violent deaths in the game so when you kill enemies they'll kind of explode into gore yeah which i appreciate its inclusion because not because i used it but because this was an era where that was a very prevalent conversation about video games. Oh, yeah. And I love that they include... A lot of video games at the time would include an option in the menu to have a, a bloody uh, experience or, like, kind of a um, a clean experience. Yes. And I love that they made you waste a trait <laughs> as a character. Like, if you're the kind of gamer who wanted over-the-top gore, you had to pay for it. Yeah. And that, I love that. That, that is so cool. That is really funny. Although, like... Well, the game is still bloody without him. Yeah, this, yeah, this game is not for kids. Oh, definitely not. at all, man. Well, I, I was actually surprised at how how adult it was. I think I texted you about something you didn't even <laughs> know about. That is oh, another layer of adultness. Or did you know? You didn't I, know about I mean, I I didn't I didn't know the specifics, but like you know, I yeah. What we're talking about is there's a section in New Reno where you can have sex with prostitutes, and like if yeah. your agility is a, I don't remember exactly what it was, but. Something somehow your agility score played into the success of your sexual encounter. <laughs> yeah, and you always ended up with a disease. <laughs> Max texted me last night saying, "Did you up your agility to have sex with prostitutes?" And my <laughs> response was, "I sure did it." <laughs> well, yeah, this game is not for kids. Yeah, but I, having played it as a thirteen-year-old, I did appreciate some of those uh, mechanics. Oh. <laughs> Oh, true. Like that—that that must have been like your awakening. Is as a as a as the. Uh, young... This is getting to a very different <laughs> podcast. Territory now. Anyway, <laughs> no, it, but it's good because it teaches you about safe sex. Every time you had a sex with a prostitute, I think even if your agility score was great, I think you still ended up with a disease. So, oh, education. Good job, Black <laughs> <laughs> New Reno is. The city in the game where I spent the least time. That's the city in the game I spent the most time. <laughs> There's just so much to do there. There's a lot to do. I went there and I gambled a lot. Yeah. And I got a lot of money. And I interacted with a bunch of different people to sort of get a feel for what kind of quests there were and stuff. And pretty much every time I put my feelers out, my reaction was, this place is gross. And <laughs> yeah, I left. But that's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah. No, like, that... That area of the game feels very sleazy and uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. gross yes and that is what black isle wanted me to feel while i played that part of the game and they did a great job is new reno also where you can do the boxing side quest yes i spent a lot of time on that one 
I didn't because I had a strength of four. Yeah. I I went to the boxing ring and the guy was like, do you want to be a boxer? And I'm like, I don't think I could handle that. So <laughs> well, it's good to know you knew your own limitations. Yeah. I think one of the things I like about that is I forget if it's you can end up using boxing gloves with weights in them or one of your opponents using, uses boxing gloves with weights in them. Huh. It's like as you're boxing, like this guy starts slugging you and it's like. It hurts much more because he's used, he's cheating, right? Which felt very Fallout Two and very New Reno. Yeah, man. One thing, if, I guess this is as good a time as any to bring this up. One thing that's really neat and really interesting about Fallout Two to me is its tone. Yes, it's such a cynical game. Yeah, and that is something that I don't really see in video games in general. Games can be very dark and intense, but this game was just sarcastic yeah. the whole time. It very much just gives you the vibe of, boy, human beings sure are terrible. And I, that's actually one of the things that I love most about the game. Yeah. Which is weird for me because I don't generally like cynical media. Right. I, it turns me off a lot of the time. Yeah. But I think I was thinking about this a lot because... You texted me last night. People are the worst. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, you played Fallout 2, right? <laughs> yeah. And that started me thinking a lot about why I enjoy the game when I don't normally enjoy cynical media. And I think the reason why is because Fallout 2 gives you the opportunity to be the kind of person you want to be in this scenario. Yes. So if you want to be an asshole, an evil player who kills kids yeah. and who you know sells people to slavers... Yeah. You can do that. And I know people who have played the game that way. Right. But you get punished for it. Yes. People won't join your party. Yeah. People won't have conversations with you. Yeah. You know, it becomes a lot harder. Yeah. And if you want to play on the opposite side, if you want to play a good natured person who's trying their best in this shitty, shitty world. Which is what I did. Which is, yeah, which is what I did too as a player. Certain things are easier for you. Certain things are harder for you. Yeah. And I love that while it is cynical, it's not cynical in a forcing an opinion on you kind of way they're not trying to prove something with their cynicism which i think for me is where i I disengage with a lot of cynical media because it's like look how smart i am the world sucks and my view is and like look at how smart my cynical worldview is (laughs) and i don't think fall 2 is that game because i think it gives you enough freedom to still engage the way you want to engage with the world and then deal with the consequences yeah yeah i think it did an excellent job about that a lot of interactions bumped me out, but I was still enjoying myself. Right. Uh, it's still entertaining. Yes. Even if it's not happy. Yeah. It. They really struck a good balance at being cynical, but also but also funny and enjoyable and not just dragging you down the whole right. time. Yeah. And not, not trying to shove their intelligence in your face. Yes. I can't get across how much I dislike that in general media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The... The game was cynical, but not pretentious. And it's still very funny. Yeah. A yeah. lot of the time, it's very funny. Jumping back to character creation, um, I tended to make characters like you did, but I learned after a couple of iterations that I had to at least devote some <laughs> interest into, like, a weapon. Yeah, we're <laughs> so, going we're, we're gonna <laughs> to mention the mistakes that I've made in a bit, but go on. So normally I would do a kind of charismatic build, but I would choose a weapon i wanted to grow into okay so like either a small laser weapon or a large laser weapon and then just dedicate all of my fighting like i would dedicate all my skill points into one weapon right instead of trying to do a couple different ones and then just like suck until yeah. i got like a laser weapon of that size right and then be competent okay 
That's, but that took me a couple of iterations to figure out. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did not figure that out. <laughs> We're talking about how funny the game is. One of my favorite things in Fallout Two was just all of the incidental moments, yeah. like just so many little moments that played out that I loved. I remember one of the first cities uh, that I went to. There's just a guy in a bar in that city. He's just like kind of, kind of mumbling and muttering to himself. And one of your dialogue options to him is, "What's your story?" And then he stands up, goes, "Allow me to tell you my tale." <laughs> there were ghouls across the, you know, and he just he does this monologue that's like that's like three pages of dialogue, and then your, and then your only response to him is just. End <laughs> in brackets, right? That's it's great. like just yeah. like you can't even respond to his story. It's just like you listen quietly and then you close the dialogue box. Yeah, and then if you try to talk to him again, he just says hi. <laughs> he just tells you his story. That's all the interaction you can have with him. They they filled out the world so amazingly. They really did. Uh, <laughs> when I was in Vault City, there was this scientist there named Phyllis. And one of the things you can ask is like, hey, tell me about Vault City. And she's like, oh, it's great, but there's just not much to do here. And you can be like, oh, what? A, a girl like you can't find stuff to do in this city? And she's like, pardon? And you can be like, I just think you're really pretty and you seem really cool and I want to take you on a date. And my charisma was high enough that she was like, I, I'd love to. Oh. And then like, and then it fades black for a second, fades back up, and then we're still both in the, the scientist's office. And I just get a little notification box that says, you and Phyllis went on a date. She was very self-centered and vapid, and <laughs> and it was very unsatisfying. You would not take her on a second date. You gain 100 experience points. Oh my god. <laughs> that's, that's one of the things I love about Fallout, is... um. When you do those kind of non-combat things yeah. that still turn into these ex- opportunities to gain experience. Yes. It's so rewarding. It's so cool. No, I, I love that so much. Like, I always did, like, the talking things out method for things. I would gain so much experience yes. for that. That felt really rewarding. It's like, yes, this is the right build. Right. I'm doing the right <laughs> thing. I do love how much the game rewards you for playing within the limits of the of the game itself, but playing to your style. Yeah, there were a lot of great things that happened as I was playing through my my charismatic playthrough, too. There were a lot of cool stuff I got to do simply through picking the right dialogue options and stuff. I freed a slave by convincing his captor that he had a disease. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, This was also in Vault City. A guy had been enslaved for getting drunk and starting a fight at a bar. So I, I went to the slaver and I was like, hey, uh, can can you release this guy? And he's like, well, no. And you can be like, oh, but he has a disease. It's it's wastelanditis. <laughs> Symptoms are talking back to authority figures and smelling real bad. He's like, oh, he does talk back to me and he does smell real bad. I'm going to release him right now. And I, I beat the side quest that way. That's amazing. I talked a guy out of suicide bombing a power plant. Bunch of experience points for that. That was that felt real good. There was a part near the end of my playthrough where a girl at Vault 15 had been kidnapped by these raiders who had sort of taken over the vault, like, on the sly, and she found out, so they, like, kidnapped her. 
the the guy holding her hostage was like, all right, you're here to save her, so any last words before I kill you? And I'm like, you know, if we fight, one of us is going to die. I don't want to die. I don't want you to have to die. Can't you just let me take her out of here? It's like, you know, that's that's fair. You you get that girl, and you you get out of here. But if I see you again, we'll see which one of us dies. So I did that without any combat. It's great that they yeah. built in so many opportunities to to you know let your character like be a person, yeah, and not just a killing machine, right? Yeah. So let's talk about where I stopped playing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after that segment, I brought the girl back to the the squatters, the people staying outside of Vault Fifteen who were under the impression that the leader of the Raiders, I think his name was Randall, the squatters were under the impression that Randall was in the vault, like, fixing it up so that the squatters could could all, like, move into Vault 15 and live there. But what Randall was actually doing was moving his band of Raiders in. There was no way to fix up Vault 15. The, the food and the water supplies had broken down long ago, so... They're just, they were just making that their base, and their plan was to basically exploit the squatters for as long as they could. So once I freed the girl who knew all this, she, uh, she told the leader of the squatters, and I talked to the leader of the squatters, like, hey, I can, I can get the new California Republic involved. I can have them show you how to live if you let them into the vault, which you've been preventing them from doing for a while. And he goes, okay, but I think someone needs to kill Randall first, and I'm not going to agree to any deal until that happens. I'm like, okay, I guess I have to kill Randall, and there's no way for me to really say no to that. So I sneak into the vault. I'm able to talk my way through most of it. <laughs> uh, I actually find a scientist who tells me Randall's backstory. I'm like, okay, cool. This is what I'm going to exploit when I get up there and I talk to him. And and all the all the guards there are like, hey, who are you? And you can say, oh, I'm Phil. I'm new here. And like, oh, hey, Phil. And so I get, I get to the third floor of the vault. I get to Randall. And Randall says, ah, here's the vault dweller. I bet you want to make some big speech that'll get me to change my mind. That's why I'm not going to let you talk. And he pulls out his flamethrower and he kills me. And I look up a walkthrough and that's the only thing that can happen. <laughs> well, is, not dying, but... Right, yeah, but there is... You can't talk him out of There is no yeah. dial... There's no... There's no pacifist way to take care of Randall. You can't find well, it's out... it's not Undertale. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but there was pacifist ways for everything else up to that point, except random encounters, which I could just run from. So there's a pacifist option for random encounters. Like, Randall was the first point where I had to kill him to proceed. And there was no, there was no alternate path, like, on this route that I was taking. I couldn't just go back to New California Republic and say, hey, take care of these raiders for me. I, I couldn't do that either. I could not progress until I killed Randall, and I could not even kill a big scorpion <laughs> at my level. I had, I had three guns. They were not very good. The best thing I had was Cassidy's rifle, basically. That's yeah, not great. Yeah. Because, yeah, because I wasn't concerned with combat, I'm like, man, I am smooth-talking my way through this whole damn game, and that's the way it's gonna go. My speech is at 120%, and we are locked and loaded, but not with any actual weapons. <laughs> and 
<laughs> and I finally got to the point where that was no longer viable at all. And I could find weapons and buy them and find ways to level up so I could level up the weapons. But that would have taken at least another 10 hours, the way that game is paced. Uh, so that's where I stopped. That seems fair. Yeah. But, I mean, you got you definitely got enough in to, to get an experience of the game and to get an understanding of the game. Yeah, I, I really did. And I think I did get to experience a lot of the game. I saw most of the major landmarks, and I, I did a lot of stuff. I definitely saw what that game had to offer, and I, I liked what that game had to offer. I just need, if I ever play through this again, I need to be prepared for Randall or just start going in a different route so I never have to deal with Randall. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned Cassidy, and I'm curious because I think the companions are one of the best parts of Fallout 2. Who else was in your party? So my party was Cassidy and Vic. Okay. I had the option. I went to this town of ghouls, and ghouls are basically this race of super radiated yeah. people that like look green and and patchy and sort of zombie-like. Uh, there was this ghoul named Lenny who offered to join my party, and I thought about it, but one of the things I already knew about the world at this point, due to the people I'd interacted with, is that a lot of people are really racist against ghouls. Lenny was so nice. <laughs> I interacted with Lenny, and I just loved him immediately, but I thought, I'm going to take him on this quest, and A, he's a healer, so he's just going to die all the time and I'm going to have to reload my saves all the time and B people are just going to make his life worse and I'm going to make his life worse by bringing him on this quest. I think he would probably like I feel I would feel like a better person if I left him here. So, that's that's what I did. Lenny offered to join my party but he did not. And and that was my party. We we have this list pulled up I see of all the companions that you could have, and it looks like I missed a lot. <laughs> yeah, who did you did you did you even meet Marcus? Marcus, he's a mutant. He's a mutant, like sheriff of a town. Oh, or uh, mayor, I think that's cool. I went into Broken Hills, uh, which is where I'm seeing he is, and I talked to a few people, and then I decided that place was boring, and I left. Oh no! So I never met Marcus. Man, Marcus is one of my favorite characters. Man. And unlike Lenny, because I think Lenny, if I remember correctly, I love Lenny, but Lenny's not super great in combat, if I remember correctly. And Marcus He's... is pretty good, so he would have been a good person for you. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's that's a bummer. Well, right on. I, I did like the companions I had. Uh, one of the things I really like about the companion system is that you can sort of customize how they behave in combat, but only to a certain point yes. based on their personality. Right. Like, for Cassidy, he was a very stubborn, aggressive person. When you go through your customization options for the characters, there's one setting that goes, when do you want your character to run away? And there's, like, five different options. And it's run away just immediately when you have a paper cut, run away when you're kind of bleeding, run away when you're really hurt, run away when you're almost dead. Cassidy would refuse to run away... Unless he was really hurt or worse. Right. And Vic, on the other hand, <laughs> would not stay if he hit a certain pain threshold. He would run away if he got a paper cut. He would run away if he was kind of hurt. 
but I could not ask him to stay until he was almost dead. It's funny, actually, listening to you talk about it. I feel like you chose two of the worst possible companions <laughs> for the play through that you were trying to do. Because oh. Cassidy is a much more combat-focused character. Yeah. But you didn't have enough combat to also, like, balance him out. Yeah, yeah. And then Vic is not so great in combat. <laughs> yeah, Vic was my mechanic. Vic repaired yeah. things for me, and he could use a shotgun, but not very well. Did you, I'm curious, did you find Sulik? Did you talk to Sulik? Sulik. Oh, man, Sulik's one of my favorites. Oh, He's got man. Bone. Yeah, I I met Sulik. He, yeah, he was a guy in one of the first towns with, with the bone in his nose. He calls him Crampy Bone. <laughs> yeah, Crampy Bone. <laughs> he He was neat, and I had intended to go back for him because he was basically being held there until he paid off a debt. And you could offer to pay off the debt for him. Like, I don't have enough money to pay off his debt right now, but I'm going to come back for him. And by the time I had enough money, I was several days away. Without a car. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things I love about Sulik is it, it kind of gets back to one of the things we're talking about, like the repercussions of playing the game that you want to play it. Yeah. Sulik is a character who um, I believe his sister is like is a slave and was sold off to a slaver. So Sulik will not join your group if you are a child killer, a slaver, or if you have a karma below a hundred, yeah. And additionally, when you do have Suluk, you can have him in your party, but he will leave if you sell anyone into slavery. Huh. You can also sell him into slavery. Oh God, that's so awful. So I think within that one character, you can see so many of the options, so many of the choices that yeah. this game leaves open for you. Of course, the way I played the game as a kid, I always had him in my party. I never sold him off, and I never had to worry about him leaving me. Right. But all of your companions, at least m- many of the companions have paths that if you take they will leave your group and not come back which is so cool Hmm. like just because someone's in your party and you met the prerequisite once if you do something again or if you change your prerequisite that person will leave your group forever yeah that's so cool that that is really cool and and yeah i i like the ways companions worked even if there was a lot of that that i apparently didn't experience yeah if you do ever play this game again I, I think it would be cool to go out and find more of these people and see who else you can get in your party because yeah. there's some really interesting characters out in the world. Just looking at this list and remembering back, Myron is the guy who invented Jet. Uh, and he oh. can join your party. Oh, neat. Uh, you can get a couple of different dogs in your party. I am aware of dog meat because <laughs> he's like a serious staple. And I was very sad that I never even met Dogmeat in my playthrough. Dogmeat's interesting, too, because Dogmeat, actually, you cannot get him to swap out. Huh. So, because you can swap out your companions if you have multiple people ready to follow you. Okay, cool. He, you can't swap him out. The only way to get him to leave your party is for him to die in combat. <laughs> no, Dogmeat. <laughs> that would but he's also happen. extraordinarily strong. Okay, He's, like, cool. actually one of the strongest companions you can have. God, I want to do a Dogmeat playthrough. Dogmeat's great. There's just so many great characters in this game. I love Marcus. I hope you have a chance to go meet him at some point. Because he's just a big, goofy, fun mutant who's just like the sweetest guy. I love him. Nice. Uh, That would be a character I would like, too. Yeah, Yeah, I should have looked into Broken Hills more. I think one of the last things I'll say about Companions is that I did, if I could, I always tried to play the game with magnetic personality trait. So that I could have a party of four rather than a party of three. Right. Oh, that's a perk. Perk, right. Thank you. Yeah, I love that perk. Nice. My my perks that I, I picked, I picked Quick Learner, which let me gain more experience, which I felt was important because yes, right. I felt like I was gaining experience less on average because I was only gaining it through social encounters. Very true. 
And I also picked Smooth Talker, which allowed me to have more dialogue options. What it mechanically did what it was it raised my intelligence, but only during dialogue. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. Uh, the perks are so great. Perks are awesome. Yeah, there are a lot of really cool perks. Hitting a level where you got to choose a new perk was like the best thing in the game for yeah. me. Yeah, same. So one of the last questions I want to ask you about Fallout 2 is uh, my favorite Easter egg in the game because it's actually something that made me interested in the game before I'd ever played it, which was, did you come across the random encounter you can have with the wizard character from Monty Python Holy Grail? <laughs> no. The, so the wizard who asks the three questions is yeah. in Fallout 2. <laughs> and if you answer the questions correctly, you get his robes, which I think are actually fairly strong, at least for the early game. Holy and cow. It's just a random encounter you can get while traveling. I don't think there's any triggers that make it happen. I think it's just totally random. But... That is one of my favorite Easter eggs in the game. <laughs> That's really amazing. I did like just some of the dumb references. There's they... so many dumb references. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember like I was in Vault City and one of the computers just yells Danger Will Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely neat. Packed with references. Cool stuff. Great sense of humor. Yeah. So one of the things that's true about you and the way you play games, we kind of touched on this earlier, mm -hmm. is you hate playing games out of sequence. Yeah. In fact, I think if I remember correctly, don't you have a free copy of Ratchet and Clank that you won't play because it's further along in the series than you've ever played? Yeah, that is true. I think I have like the fifth or sixth game in the series. It feels weird to play that without any of the context from the last <laughs> Ratchet, from the first Ratchet and Clank games. Uh, I really should pick up that remake. Apparently that's really good. So with this personality quirk of yours, <laughs> how was playing Fallout 2 not having played Fallout 1? Oh, man. So you you told me that this is a game that I should be fine playing without having played Fallout 1 first. And I think that was true in a lot of ways. But this is also very much a sequel. The game starts and it tells you the story of the Vault Dweller, who's very clearly the protagonist of the first game gives you like a quick, very vague summary of the events of the first game. It ends with him settling down and creating this village where you're the ancestor. And as you play through the game, you keep bumping into people that knew the vault dweller. You keep bumping into these really old people because I think it takes place 80 years later or something. Lenny, actually, when Lenny almost joins your party, he goes, Oh, yeah, the Vault Dweller came by here, and he saved my village. He he stopped the water from being polluted, and I admired him so much. I wished I could go with him, but maybe I can go with you. And it's like, man, I wonder if Lenny was a character that was running around in Fallout 1 that I could have met and had more context on this Lenny that would make me feel closer to Lenny in Fallout 2 as a result. But you go to New California Republic... The president is this really old lady named Tandy, and Tandy tells you about how in the first game she got captured by raiders, and the vault dweller rescued her, and that's why she's president now. And, man, it would have been really cool to have met young Tandy before old Tandy. I don't care about old Tandy as much, but I would have loved her if I knew who young Tandy was in the beginning. The game rewards you a lot for knowing about things that happened in the first game. I feel it, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of payoff. There's a lot of legacy characters who just 
matter more to you if you know about the first game. So there was a frustration in that. There was a, oh man, I don't have this context. I don't know who these people are. I wish I knew who these people were. On the other hand, there are reasons I'm glad you recommended Fallout 2 to me instead of Fallout 1. One of those is that if I feel like Fallout 2 was a frustrating, archaic (laughs) experience sometimes, I can only imagine what Fallout 1 was. And if you recommended Fallout 1 to me first, maybe that would have been such a frustrating experience that I wouldn't have even met Tandy. And Yeah, I mean, that's, that's I think, for me, as someone who played Fallout 2 before they played Fallout 1. Right. I, and at a, at a younger age, I didn't right. care about not having those references. Like, they just felt yeah. like references. They didn't feel, to me, they didn't feel, like, important to the experience. I, feel, I can understand yeah. where that is for you. Yeah. Um, but I think I think that's true. I mean, I never beat Fallout 1. It's not as good of an experience. It's just not as good of a game. Yeah, I believe it. Mechanically <laughs> or story-wise, it's just not as good. Yeah. And I think if I had, well, I wouldn't have recommended Fallout 1 too. Right. But in a world in which I had, yeah. you wouldn't have never played Fallout 2. And I think Fallout yeah. 2 is an experience that gamers should have. Yeah. And I think you would have missed that experience had I, I been like, no, you got to play Fallout 1 first. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a chance that really, technically... Under this format, you could have trapped me into playing Fallout 2 anyway, well, and true. then I would have realized it was a good game. But, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I would I would probably be far less inclined to play Fallout 2 after Fallout 1. And I don't really know how much improved your experience would be if you played Fallout 1 first. You would yeah. get those references a little bit better, you would have more context for some characters yeah. and for the world. But in terms of enjoying the game, I don't think it would have counterbalanced your experience of playing Fallout 1 and the frustration and... Not that it's a bad game. It's not a bad I, game. I, I, I think that's fair. You're right. The amount of happiness that I would have gained from those references yeah. is probably not proportionate to the amount of frustration that I would have had from having to deal with Fallout 1 first. Well, and even, maybe we're painting Fallout 1 a little bit unfairly. It's not a bad game. But it's right. just, Fallout 2, for me, is if you're a serious RPG gamer, a game that I think you have to play. Yeah. I don't feel that way about Fallout 1. And I didn't want to get in the way of you having that experience because Fallout 2, to me, is a genius game, and yeah. it's it's a unique experience that was not recaptured by Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. I don't know if we want to have that conversation <laughs> or if we don't have that conversation. I I think I already touched on it, and that's that there's, there's kind of a magic to Fallout 2, yeah. and Fallout 3 and Fallout 4, I think, are very well-made games, but somehow the magic isn't there. Sometimes it kind of is. I think the opening sequence of Fallout 3 brilliant. is A+. Plus. The the sequence where you start as a baby and you, you grow into an adult in the vault and then you go out there, that is probably one of the best sequences in video games. It's really good. It is really good. But once you get out there, they do not do a good enough job flushing out the world. Yes. And I think the caveat we should both say is that neither of us have played New Vegas which, which I've heard right. is real good. I mean, a lot of people actually rank that as their favorite Fallout game above Fallout 2. Wow. Most lists have either New Vegas or Fallout 2 at the top. Right. Um, and I think one important thing to mention about New Vegas is, unlike Fallout 3, some of the original Fallout 2 writers right. worked on New Vegas. So, I mean, at some point I would like to go back and experience New Vegas. I just had such a bad time with Fallout 3 that <laughs> I just never got around to it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but I wanted to throw that caveat out there because as we're kind of you know, talking down about these two games, right? We should say the full context of not having played New Vegas, which, from my understanding, is a is a much more authentic rendering of the Fallout world. Cool. 
Yeah, maybe I would like to check that out at yeah, some point too. Then. I would like to too. Yeah, cool. Well, Daniel, thank you for playing Fallout Two. Do you Thanks. have any other thoughts? Yeah, let me uh, let me just take one last peek at my notes. <laughs> I did put down some of my favorite dialogue interactions, and I said some of them, but one I forgot to mention is that there's there's a dog named Laddie, I think in the Ghoul City, who you talk to, and generally you don't get a dialogue box for just incidental characters. Usually the, if they... The text is just on screen. Yeah, you, yeah, usually if the character doesn't have something important to say, you'll just see a line of text above their head. Right. But when you have a conversation, you get a dialogue box that sort of tells you the stuff they're saying. <laughs> you click on Laddie, and you get a dialogue box. And in the dialogue box, it's Laddie saying, woof, woof. And your response option is nice doggy. <laughs> I click nice doggy. Laddie goes, woof, 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 and jumps on me and begins to lick my face. My response is then in brackets, meaning it's something I'm thinking and not saying, is, what a nice doggy. And that ends the entire interaction. That's amazing. <laughs> That's what's missing from Fallout 3, Fallout 4, right? stuff like that. Yeah. I think that's the best way to end the conversation about Fallout 2, because that was probably my favorite part in the whole game. That's great. Yeah. I think to summarize the experience, it sounds a lot like your experience with Fallout 2 was actually similar to my experience with Undertale. Games that we both appreciated, both enjoyed playing, both glad we played. Yes. Uh, but the other person, the recommender, <laughs> will, it will remain a better game for them than for, for the recommendee. Agreed. I definitely don't love Fallout 2 as much as you do. And I didn't expect that you would going in, like, to be clear. Like, right. I always thought you would have a harder time with it than I did. Yeah. But, I, but yeah. Yeah. I do see why you love it so much. Yeah. And there are very good reasons. It's That is a good game. It's It's solid. I'd say it's not for everyone, and you have to be prepared to play an old game, Right, but it's it's very solid, and there's some very unique stuff in there. And it really was a very formative experience for me, because I did play it at the age I played it at. Yeah. You know, it was, it informed a lot of who I am as a gamer, I think. Cool. So I always love it for that. <laughs> so that was Fallout 2. Uh, yeah. Daniel, what are you recommending to me next? Actually, before you recommend the game. Um, just to keep the tension going uh, i'll say that uh our next episode actually will break from the format a little bit next yeah. episode we're going to do a large game of the year discussion we're going to bring yes. in some special guests for that conversation yes and our whole episode will be devoted to that conversation so daniel's recommended game i will talk about one month from now yes. rather than two weeks from now correct uh, as next time we're going to do that game of the year conversation so come back for that yeah so i'm going to give you some backstory before i give you the game that I'm recommending. I think I guessed it earlier. I think I guessed it off mic. <laughs> so, <laughs> so as you said, it's going to be a month before we return to the usual format. And that means that it would make a lot of sense for me to recommend a longer game for you. A big, long RPG, maybe. Maybe. And I knew that I had the opportunity to recommend a Persona game to you. Yeah. Because the Persona series is one of my favorites. There are these great big crazy modern day JRPGs with a little bit of dating sim and some Pokemon thrown in there, and I'd love for you to experience one of them. But I was very stuck. Literally for the past two weeks I've been waffling back and forth <laughs> between recommending Persona 4 to you and Persona 5. Okay, so I'll jump in now and say that my off-mic guess was Persona 4 Golden. 
Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you're going to do Persona 5. So let me uh, let me just walk you through oh, my boy. thought process. All right. So because I think there's a lot of things that you'll like about either experience, and it was really hard for me to pick. So for Persona 4, I think Persona 4 is a stronger narrative you'd appreciate. I think it has some characters that you'll connect with slightly more. And I think it has, for lack of a better phrase, less problematic Japanese nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's still some. <laughs> there, oh, yeah, there's still definitely Just some. Less, yeah. There, yeah, but but there's less. It's less pronounced. It's, it's less in your face. But Persona 5, on the other hand, has mechanics that I feel are polished near perfection. It has a really impressive style and aesthetic that I think you'll dig a lot. It has a soundtrack that I think you'll appreciate slightly more. Persona 4 has sort of a J-pop feel to it, and Persona 5 is like a J-jazz. Ooh, J-jazz. Yeah, J-jazz. <laughs> <laughs> and Persona 5 also not only has less of a slow start than Persona 4, but it has quite possibly, to me, the best JRPG opening sequence of oh, all awesome. time. Nice. Yeah. So then I thought about some other points. One big one being... That if you play Persona 4 after you play Persona 5, it's going to be a more frustrating game for you to play right. because Persona 5 has a lot of quality of life changes to Persona 4. There's less 4. grinding. Yeah. Well, it's not that there's less grinding, but there's just little things that make Persona 4 more annoying to play as a video game than 5 that 5 kind of fixes. If you play 4 first, you won't notice those things' absence as much. Right. And if you play 5 later, it'll feel like an upgrade. So on one hand, playing 4 and then 5 would feel like a good progression, right? If if you like 4 enough to play 5. But another thing is I think there's a lot of stuff you'd like about 5, and if you don't like 4, maybe you'll never play 5. <laughs> like we were just talking about with right. 1 and 2. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> the last thing is what finally got me to make my decision. I sent you a text message saying, which would you prefer to play a game about? A long, multifaceted murder mystery, or heist? I do remember this text message. And you said heist. I did say heist. And my final part of the decision is that... Should we leave it as a cliffhanger? Should <laughs> we not tell them what it's going to be? <laughs> I, oh, feel... I kind of want to do a cliffhanger now. I'm feel... setting this up so perfectly for a cliffhanger. <laughs> I feel like they should know. I feel like they should know. Plus, anyone who's played the Persona games knows which one I well, picked Well, yeah, point. I mean, it's kind of clear that you're going with Persona 5, but I feel like it yeah. should be a cliffhanger. Well, here's, here's the last... I just said what it was. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, here's, here's the last thing that led to my decision is if... I picked Persona 5, then I could give it to you as a Christmas-slash-Hanukkah gift. Aww. And uh, I'm handing you a bag that oh, says funny. a gift for you I should unwrap it next to the microphone so people can hear it. <laughs> Actually, op open the, oh, open the, the tag card. first. Okay, I'll read it out loud. It's a, it's wrapped by Amazon. Yeah, It says it a gift for you, yeah. and not very cheery. No, uh, no punctuation at all. No punctuation, and the, the font type is very... No decorations yeah. near the font either. It's There's just a weird. barcode on the inside. That's yeah. interesting. What that's for? <laughs> it says, Dear Max, sorry you have to open this loud wrapping paper during the podcast. Love, Daniel. Oh, 
one funny note is that they put it in a bag that's very easy to open quietly. So Amazon ruined my joke. Thanks a fucking yeah, lot, Amazon. This. this is <laughs> oh, great oh, audio. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you're listening on headphones right now, I'm your best friend. Oh, look, uh, it's a copy of Persona 5. Whoa! <laughs> so I did finally pick Persona 5 for you. Uh, even though, like, literally last night, even though I'd already bought you Persona 5, <laughs> there were parts of me go, oh no, we should play Persona 4 first, but I think Persona 5 is still a great first Persona game for you. There are some reservations that I have about you playing that first, and one is that there's a lot of dumb fan service in this game, and some problematic treatment of several characters, We'll have a juicy conversation. Yeah, but I'm I'm also interested to hear what you think about those, because I feel like your thoughts about that will vibe with mine. I think if you like Persona 5, Persona 4 is still worth playing, yeah. even if the mechanics will be a bit more frustrating. This is really interesting, because as I was listening to you do the build-up on this, I yeah. was actually starting to think along the same lines that you were, which is... So, to be clear, for the audience, I haven't yeah. played any Persona games... Again, it just kind of fell into this hole where I just didn't play them. Right. Uh, but one of the things I know about Persona 4 is that it is incredibly grindy. Yes. One of the grindiest JRPGs of its time. Yeah. And its level of popularity. Yeah. Like, I think it's unique for its level of popularity with how grindy it is. A lot of times games like that are relegated to a smaller fan service or a smaller fan size. Yeah. Uh, because they're a little bit harder to get into. Yes. It's interesting because, like, playing Persona 5... It, I will notice those quality of life changes when I go back and play Persona 4. Absolutely. But I still think I would prefer to do it in this order. Well, I guess I can't really know having not played it. But right. selfishly, I want to have the more polished experience first. <laughs> I, and I then have that. the better story experience after. I'm glad to hear you say that. It makes me feel a bit more confident in my decision. And Persona 5 is not not grindy, to right. be sure. It's there, still JRPG. Yeah, 100 plus hour JRPG. Yeah, there will be grinding. But... In Persona 5's case, especially, the combat in that game is so good yeah. that you won't mind grinding. That's what I'm looking forward to. And I think just to just to close this off and to tie it back to the conversation we're having about Fallout 1 and Fallout 2, I think, you know, the difference is Fallout 1 is an okay game. Yeah. Persona 4 is still what maybe your favorite game of all time. It's up there, top So five. even with those kind of caveats built in, yeah. there's still there's it's still worth going back to and experiencing. Oh yeah. Whereas Fallout Two, in my opinion, is the definitive Fallout experience. Maybe Agreed. New Vegas, but I haven't played it. Of the, of the Fallout's I've played, and I've played one, two, three, and four, just not New Vegas. Right. Uh, Fallout Two is the definitive. Yeah. If it, from my understanding of the world of Persona, neither one's really definitive. They're both excellent excellent games people yeah. have a preference between the two yes but um and some people like other persona games better but playing one won't make me dislike the other i agree inherently with that. yeah i agree with that uh i think one last thing to sort of just i think set up your experience for that game and make it a little better there's a lot of sort of time management aspects in this game you sort of like go through a calendar year and you get to make decisions on each day that's what i'm nervous about uh I will tell you this, don't worry about looking up a walkthrough for this game, because the game does not expect you to be able to do everything on your first playthrough. That's very hard for me as a gamer. Yeah, it's and yeah, I, I know that in advance, so I want to I wanna tell you in advance, they don't expect you to be able to do everything on your first playthrough, and every decision you can make on a day will be a meaningful choice. Like, everything you, you can do has a good reason to do it. So... Whatever choices you make 
during the time management aspects will be the correct choice. So don't okay, fret too much well, thank about you. it. That's, that's very reassuring for me. Yeah, don't, don't fret too much about that, and you will have a good time with this game. Great. Well, I'm very excited to play Persona 5. Me I'm too. very excited to talk about it and to have a month to do so. Yeah! <laughs> There's no way I'll be able to play this game in oh, two weeks. Oh, yeah. I won't I, be able to play this game. I, it's unlikely I'll be able to finish it in a month. Oh, yeah. Like, And and I do want to let you know and let our viewers know I do not expect you to yeah. beat this game by I the mean, time we'll we talk see, about it It's possible, it but it's not likely. Yeah. I think that you'll be able to make a lot of progress, and I feel like you'll be reasonably able to get to some of the big twists in the game that we can talk about. But yeah, I'm not expecting you to beat this game by that time frame. <laughs> Good. I'm yeah. glad that you have the proper expectation. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, once again for listening. Yeah. Uh, we're excited to have our Game of the Year conversation again. That'll be the next episode. It'll be our Game of the Year conversation with some special guests. Yeah. Following that, we'll talk about Persona 5 and my impressions. Uh, as always, if you have any thoughts you want to share with us, please feel free to tweet us at uh, Play This Podcast on Twitter. Or send us an email at playthiscast at gmail.com. You know, anything you want to talk about. If you want to go back all the way and talk about Pyre, we'd love to include your thoughts. If you want to send in your thoughts on your favorite games of the year of 2017, we'll include that in our episode next time. Yeah. Your thoughts on Fallout 2, your thoughts on Persona 5, your thoughts on how we're doing in general. You know, we've been doing this for a couple weeks now, and, you know, we'd love to get your feedback and know what we can be doing better and know what we're doing well. So any thoughts you have, please feel free sharing. Once again, that's Play This Podcast on Twitter or playthiscast at gmail.com. Yeah, do it. We want opinions <laughs> and as always we want to thank sean francis for our music and kessie rillanicki for her dope ass art well it's dangerous to go alone play this oh wait actually i thought of a better one oh okay what it's dangerous to game alone play- <laughs> <laughs> goodbye <laughs> bye Game over.